Welcome to the Distrust and Disparities Podcast, Voices from the Margins of Healthcare. On this podcast, we will explore both current and historical cases of medical injustices within the American healthcare system. We will get into how we can overcome this systemic mistreatment, advocate for ourselves, and close the gap on poor health outcomes and disparities. I'm your host, Jasmine Moore, a registered nurse, and I am joined by my co-host and good friend, Camille White. We discuss mental health, death, and suicide in this episode. Listener discretion is advised. In episode 17, we point out some of the mental health disparities that exist in the African-American community. We discuss our own mental health journeys, struggles, and what we have learned about ourselves. And we highlight BEAM, the Black emotional and mental health collective that is working to create a world where there are no barriers to Black healing. Thanks for joining us here at Distrust and Disparities Podcast again. This is Jasmine Moore. And this is Camille White. So the month of May is... Teacher Appreciation Week. Also, it's Nurses Week and also it's Mother's Day. So I know plenty of people in our audience fall into those categories. So celebrate yourselves. And in addition to those three categories, May is also Mental Health Awareness Month. I know since the pandemic started, there's been a lot of talk about prioritizing your mental health and self-care, but there's still some stigma and taboo and, of course, some health disparities surrounding mental health access and as well as treatment for marginalized community. This week, we're going to discuss some of the disparities as well as statistics of mental health, and also we'll discuss our personal journey. So let's jump into some of the statistics. According to the Health and Human Services Office of Minority Health, Black adults in the U.S. are more likely than white adults to report persistent symptoms of emotional distress, such as sadness, hopelessness, and feeling like everything is an effort. Yeah, life is stressful. But then mm-hmm. add on top of that, being Black, being Black in America, it's even right. more stressful. Even sometimes doing this podcast, it's like we put in a lot of effort, we're doing education and different things like that. And sometimes it can be disheartening. Like, are things going to change? Are we really making a difference? But we press on. And then other statistics, Black adults living below the poverty line are more than twice as likely to report serious psychological distress than others with more financial security. So barely making it and you're in survival mode. So Mm -hmm. it can be even more stressful dealing with things because it's constantly feel like you're in a race just to stay alive, just to keep going. So I can only imagine. And given that, you know, more black people and even marginalized people exist below the poverty line because of racism, because of Mm -hmm. barriers that other people aren't affected by, then yeah, that's going to cause a lot of stress, a lot of psychological stress in your life. 
and living paycheck to paycheck is no way mm-hmm. to live. Like you said, you're just surviving. You're not thriving. And the pandemic highlighted like a lot of these needs, especially for kids. Most kids, they were getting their meals at school. So now the parents have to come up with money to be able to feed their kids. Also, if you still have to work, if you work in a job where you're an essential worker, you need somebody to be able to watch your kids. So it just created more problems, more issues. If your home life wasn't the best and you know you, you went to school and that was like a safe place for you, now you're home in an environment that's not safe. So... So despite the need, and there's a really big need for mental health services, only one in three Black adults who need mental health care receive it. And according to the American Psychiatric Association, African-Americans, they're less likely to receive guideline consistent care, less frequently to be included in mental health research, and more likely to use emergency rooms or primary care, rather than mental health specialists. There's a stigma to it, Mm -hmm. especially in our community that you don't need to sort of go outside of your circle of your community to receive help. And like you said, there has been a big push, like recent efforts to improve mental health services and awareness for African-Americans and other minority groups. But like you said, barriers still remain and stigma within your own community and your thoughts and beliefs surrounding mental health, that still plays a big part. And then also, like we always point out, distrust of the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. There's always this fear of criminalization, Mm -hmm. nobody taking you serious. You're going to have to do more work to find providers from your racial or ethnic background, and also even just finding somebody that's culturally competent to understand what's going on Mm -hmm. because you can seek out help and then end up feeling worse than what you began with if your provider is not able to understand or provide culturally relevant treatments to you. And then also another biggie is a lack of insurance or underinsurance. Depending on your insurance, a lot of them don't cover mental health services. Or if they do say it's through your job, it's when you're in a crisis. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you can go to this, you can. But if you want to have like regular mental health, say go see a therapist or something on a regular basis, you might have to pay out of pocket for that. And some people, they don't have that. And unfortunately, how our healthcare system is set up, people don't look at like mental health care as being preventative. Cause like Mm -hmm. you said, it is for just moments of crisis where no, you need to make sure people are equipped well before they encounter a crisis. So when that does happen, one, they'll already have someone that they're talking to that can help them work through it. But then two, they'll have worked along the way with that professional to have good coping mechanisms to get them through it as well. So Mm -hmm. we need to look at prevention with mental health and also just maintaining your mental health. Yeah. Equipping you with the tools, the coping skills that you need to be prepared all the time, no matter what's going on during the good times, during the bad times. Mm -hmm. And some other statistics that I found interesting compared 
with white Americans with the same symptoms. African-Americans are more frequently diagnosed with schizophrenia and less frequently diagnosed with other mood disorders. And differences in how African-Americans express symptoms of emotional distress may contribute to this misdiagnosis. And when I was doing my research, there was this whole thing how schizophrenia became associated with like black men, such as like this angry black man, and they're associating and misdiagnosing black men with schizophrenia. And then also black people with mental conditions, including bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, and other psychosis are more likely to be incarcerated than people of other races. So a lot of people, if you look at the incarceration population of African-Americans, there is a huge population of those with mental health disorders and they're not getting the treatment in prison and they're also not getting the treatment outside of prison. So no, it's just because our bodies is, are viewed as dangerous and as a threat mm-hmm. to society at large. So as soon as someone, I guess, starts displaying behavior that is out of the norm, instead of really taking the time to figure out, OK, what's happening with this person? What's going on? It's, oh, they're a threat. Just lock them up. Let's not even deal mm-hmm. with them. And. Unfortunately, too, because of just how terrible our prison system is, our justice system is, it's not about rehabilitation because if you went in there, it should be about, okay, well, why are you in here? Why did you end up here? And if you do have any sort of health issues, mental health issues, let's figure out a way to work on that and get you being the best healthy self you can be. But instead, yeah, they end up in a place where I'm sure it'll only get worse and then they're released and there's still no help for them. Mm -hmm. And that cycle continues where they cycle in and out of prison, in and out Mm -hmm. of prison. And even in prison, if you have like a extreme mental health disorder, a lot of times they end up in solitary confinement, which is not good for your mental health at all. You end up getting worse because you're not having any interactions with people. You're not receiving any rehabilitations, any services. So your mental status, your mental health status, it further declines in prison. Mm -hmm. And a global pandemic has not helped Mm -mm. with people's mental health at all. So the COVID-19 pandemic led to an increased rates of stress, anxiety, and depression amongst everyone in this group. According to the CDC, overall suicide rates, they dropped in 2020, but Amongst minority groups, they saw a rise. So African-Americans, they have a significantly lower rate of suicides compared with the rest of the population, especially white Americans. But the rate has been climbing. So amongst Black girls and women ages 10 to 24, the suicide rates increased more than 30%. And Black boys and men in that same group, they saw a 23% increase in suicide rates. So that's something that definitely needs to be addressed in the community. And like we pointed out in the beginning, this persistent symptoms of emotional distress, 
hopelessness and just everything seems like an effort because during the pandemic, that's when we saw also an increase of police brutality, police killings. And I just know, and we'll get into it later in the episode, just seeing all those videos on your timeline affected people's mental health. I don't even know if I feel like police brutality increased. I just feel like Mm -hmm. because we had so much less going on, you weren't going anywhere, you weren't doing anything. It was just constantly in your face where it normally is, but I guess we were distracted by life in general and other things going on that it isn't so much at the forefront but when all you're doing is staying in a house and then you constantly go on Instagram or you constantly turn the TV and maybe you end up watching the news because you're just like, oh, let me stay informed. Then you're just like, oh, another person in my community has been murdered. And then it's also the feeling of hopelessness when you know that like majority of the time, like 99.9% of the time, no one will be held accountable. Nothing will be done that Mm -hmm, will actually mm -hmm. affect change and stop this from occurring over and over and over again. And that, yeah, that's depressing. Mm -hmm. That is severely depressing. And it's just so tragic too, that then suicide rates for, you know, young black people increase during this time. Mm -hmm. And the rates are still lower compared to white Americans, but the numbers are going up. So it's like something needs to be done to address this. And there's not too much research on some of the factors that are leading up to Black women, Black boys, and men to commit suicide. And also, one interesting article that I read, the the signs and symptoms may present different. They were saying with Black people, there may be an increase in risky behavior, such as doing things that you know would cause you to either be killed, such as say, you know, you're not supposed to hang out in a particular neighborhood, but you're feeling hopeless, you're feeling down. So you're like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, go to this area or do certain things that you know could get you killed. So you may not think it's suicidal behavior, but that was the article. I'm trying to summarize. It was really good. I got to find it and I'll put it on our social media because it was a really, really good article. For this episode, we really wanted to do a check-in with ourselves, also with our audience, because With mental health, it's a big subject to unpack. So I know, Camille, when I presented this idea to you, like, oh, let's discuss, you know, what's going on with our own mental health. And you were down with it. But then you were like, I'm not telling all my business. (laughs) (laughs) No, because it's just like, you know, willing to share some things and keep other things sort of like close to my chest where it's just like, you know. Us being friends, we talk about stuff all the time, Mm -hmm. but you know, appreciate the Mm -hmm. audience, but y'all going to get little little tidbits here and there, not the the full (laughs) long picture, because that's just Yes. And when we were discussing some of the barriers and stigma and taboo, I know growing up when you're younger, social workers and guidance counselors would come to the school. And, you know, I always remember my parents like, 
you don't tell everybody your business. You know, you keep what's going on in the house. You keep that here, but you don't go out telling everybody your business. And if something is going on saying you're down or you're feeling like sad and everything, you want to like keep it to yourself. And there's this fear of ending up in foster care or being taken away just because they may judge you for certain things. So I just always know that was that fear. And it's just like, you know, I may be feeling sad or things may have happened, but it's I'm not about to go talk to nobody. I'm not about to tell my teacher or Mm -hmm. anybody outside of my immediate family, maybe talk to my friends, but it was, don't be telling people your business. Don't be your business out there. And I didn't have it in like that exact way, but definitely felt that as a child and even like into teenage years where There are issues and things going on, but you like don't share that with people. And knowing that that is terrible advice, because unfortunately you get into a routine of like bottling things up and it isn't Mm -hmm. until, you know, maybe, you know, people have those days where it's just like, it's like everything went wrong. Every little thing went wrong and you were like, good. You, you moved through a couple of them. And then eventually you're just like, oh my God, I'm going to lose my mind. And that's Mm -hmm. exactly what happens when you keep things so, so closed in and you're not sharing with, and I'm talking about people that are really close to you, but maybe not inside your household, inside your family. If you're not able to share those things, eventually, you know, all that bottling up is just going to do so much more harm than good. And Yeah, that's a huge stigma of like, nobody needs to know your business, you know, mind your business and, you know, keep that stuff to yourself where it's the difficulty too as a child going, well, who can I trust? Who can I go to if I am experiencing some issues? Because you never know with guidance counselors or whoever at your school will will they end up like reporting your your family members for something Mm -hmm. that actually didn't even occur or they misinterpreted what you're telling them. And that's an unfortunate fear, but like it's, it's real and it happens because even if people claim that they have the best intentions for children, it's just, it's how you go about it. And you need to make sure that when someone is coming to you with information of I'm going through this You work not only with them, but you work with their family members, maybe their friends at school to help them get through it and be okay, but not like turn their life all upside down and go, oh, we need to take this child out this home because of whatever you Mm want to claim is going on when you should have taken a step back and really learned what was happening with them. Mm -hmm. I know even when you're younger, your parents instilling you like resistance or that you have to be strong and Mm -hmm. just building resiliency from a young age. Like don't cry. Like it's going to be okay. Like why are you crying over losing a soccer game? I remember one time it was like, we lost like the championship and everybody was crying. And I was Uh like, I was like, I wanted to cry because everybody was crying, even though it's like, I have, I still had fun. But I was like, why are you crying? <laughs> like, girl, it's just a game. And I get that, like, our parents and older generations, because you're trying to prepare us for the world. And the mm-hmm. world doesn't really allow Black people to cry. It doesn't allow us to be vulnerable because 
when we do, they know time and time again, it's like, you'll be taken advantage of. So mm-hmm. they're trying to prepare you for the world, but then also hinders you in other ways of how to process your emotions. Cause then telling people not to cry usually results in people having anger issues. But I had the same thing. I remember being little and even like, I have a vivid memory of like crying and I didn't remember why I was crying. And I was probably like two or three years old and a family member was just like, well, I'll give you a reason to cry if you don't know what you're crying about. It's like, like, what the hell? Like thinking back on that, I was just like, "Um, excuse me. I don't know what was going on, but like I'm allowed to process my emotions just like everybody else is. And to be told that or being told many times, like I'm too sensitive, not helpful, Mm -hmm. not helpful at all. And you're doing more harm than good where like, try to have a realistic conversation depending on what age a child is of and difficult as it is of explaining the world we live in, explaining racism and explaining that like, you know, here's a safe place to experience that emotion maybe instead of just telling them to turn it off completely. No, maybe there are moments when that emotion might not be appropriate or being a little bit too vulnerable around the wrong people can wind up getting you hurt. But as parents, as a community, as family members, you need to provide a safe space for people, especially children, to be able to uh, feel whatever they're feeling and not be told like, well, don't cry or you're too sensitive or you're reading too much into something. That's It, it causes more mm-hmm. harm, especially later on in adulthood. Mm-hmm. And we're both black women, but I know, especially with black men, that Mm. don't cry, you can't be weak, Mm -hmm. don't show your emotions, like... Yeah, so, like, even what we experienced was, like, so tiny in a way compared to what black boys experience. Mm Because I can't even imagine where it's just... They're literally told, I feel like, most of the time to just not have any emotion whatsoever. And mm-hmm. it's just like, how, how are you supposed Not to live to show like that? Emotions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like you were saying, having a community, a safe place, a lot of times for Black people, the church and spirituality, that's a big place that people mm-hmm. go to for their mental health and their needs and, you know, being told to pray. You got to have faith trust in the Lord, but Mm -hmm. what happens when you're still struggling and you actually have a real mental illness, a real mental disorder, and they're just telling you just to pray, just trust the Lord. And yeah, it's, it's not enough. (laughs) And it's not taking you there. And people are like, you know, just keep reading your Bible doing that, but it's not in a, a lot of people, they struggle. They think something is wrong that they're not following the Lord enough, Mm -hmm. that their faith is wavering. But in actuality, it might be a chemical imbalance in the brain and you may have a mental disorder. So where else, who else can you turn to? And then people, if you're raised in a really religious household, you may fear being judged, the stigma. Mm -hmm. You don't want to go out and seek other resources. So that could be a 
hindrance as well. Like it's a good thing having like a faith community, people that strengthen you coming together around common beliefs and everything. But then if something is seriously going wrong, a funk, a medical diagnosis, bipolar, schizophrenia, where else can you go? How do you deal with that? Yeah. And then on top of that, sometimes, unfortunately, your faith community might not be there for you because you're a part of the queer community and Mm, they, they see how you exist as like an abomination or something Mm. that, you know, it can be accepted, but you literally can't in any way act on your feelings or how you truly identify or how you just, you know, truly exist as yourself. And then that's a problem of then if you go to them to seek counseling, you're literally told to repress who you are. And and that's mm. when it definitely too, those are moments when not only is your faith community not enough and you need to seek help outside of them. Sometimes then it's like, maybe you need to find a new faith community that aligns with who you are, will support who you are and will never tell you to deny who you are, because that Mm -hmm. definitely will lead you into having mental health issues where you become self-hating because you've been told that like, there is something so terribly wrong with you when in actuality, it's just because of who you like, or maybe you're trans and you don't feel as though you're existing in the right body And the difficulty of trying to find help outside of that community can be really hard. And especially if you're a child or a young adult, when that's all you've known, that's what you've grown up in. And how do you sort of walk away from a place like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that can be really hard. And then also finding culturally competent providers and Mm -hmm. also a community that can help support you and uplift you during those times. Yeah. And I know after college, there was a lot of talk about self-care and everybody was just talking about the struggles of adulting. Like, I can't adult. (laughs) Like, this is too much. (laughs) I literally have a shirt that I got like years ago where it says, can't adult today. Like, just can't do it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) After college and like working and, you know, taking care of myself, it's just like, this is a a lot. And Mm -hmm. there was this big push of self-care, you know, treat yourself to a massage, you know, do yoga and Mm -hmm. meditate and all these things. And I know I tried to do meditation or even yoga. I enjoy Mm -hmm. like the stretch, but I cannot get my mind to quiet down at all. It was like, I always had like a running to-do list. I was like, Mm -hmm. this is not (laughs) helping me (laughs) at all right now. (laughs) Like if (laughs) anything, I'm just like thinking about what I got to do, what I got to do. I'm not focused at all. And then it also made like self-care felt like something you had to like buy or something you needed to have done for you. Like I need this massage, this relaxing. So it's like, oh, I'm doing, I've got this massage and you feel good for maybe a day. And then it's like, or you go out to brunch with people and Mm -hmm. then you go right back to your job. They end up stressing you out again. So it's like Mm -hmm. this cycle still 
continues. And I know there's this strong black woman trope where you feel like you have to be doing it all, especially if you have a family cooking, cleaning, working, taking care of the house and doing all these things. And you, the research says black women there can be the primary breadwinners of their family or just the glue of their community. And even with like the protests, you'll see it's black women that are at the forefront that are heading it or doing the work. So just doing all those things. And a lot of times prioritizing yourself and what you need, it gets put on the back burner. We're so conditioned to think of other people's needs and Mm -hmm. what they have going on versus putting ourselves first. That's like the main self-care right there. Just checking in on yourself. What do you need? And not thinking about what others need. Mm -hmm. Because I remember seeing self-care isn't selfish. And Mm -hmm. also like the classic saying of you have to replenish your own cup before you can pour into someone else's. Mm -hmm. So if you're worn out and overwhelmed how are you then going to not only help someone else, but then try and then to help yourself? Or I also think of like on airplane, something's going on and those little oxygen masks come down. The first thing they tell you is put yours on first and Mm -hmm. then you go and help other people who need assistance. And it's the problem is I think because of just how we've been conditioned and what we see as normal those sort of things are seen as as selfish when it's just like, no, you need to focus on yourself. You need to make sure that you're good. That way, if you can and are willing to assist other people, then you can do that as well. But you definitely Mm -hmm. have to, even if it's taking small little moments, I try to take small little moments even of, you know, what do I want to do? Part of my self-care is doing puzzles. I know Mm. it seems like I'm some old little bitty, but I enjoy my little (laughs) puzzles, my little jigsaw puzzles. That's helpful. I even, sometimes I do a little Sudoku that like those little moments for me are my self-care of like, okay, I'm going to sit down and do something, a hobby of mine that I enjoy, or I like plants, those things. And, and also not seeing self-care as something that you like have to earn as though Mm -hmm. like you're treating yourself to something because we need to get out of that mindset that like if you're not being productive then you don't you haven't earned this thing you haven't earned to be sort of nice to yourself where productivity doesn't mean anything in terms of like your value and worth as a human being and we need to Mm -hmm. get away from that and go no, you just deserve this because you deserve it and you exist and you also exist to be happy. So what makes you happy? You want to get a little coloring book and and color Mm -hmm. and a little turtle or something? Then do that. Take those little moments and enjoy life because we only have one and you really need Mm -hmm. to make sure that you, you feel valued in yourself and that your value isn't placed on what others think or what you've done for others. Yep, absolutely. That's so true. And I used to be like that, like, oh, I haven't done this, so I can't, I'm not going to do this. It's like, I got so many things, so many tasks to do. I don't have time to just sit here and just 
watch trashy TV. Sometimes I just want to <laughs> binge watch, you know, those TLC 90 Day Fiance. Yeah. And for me, I really enjoy like power walking or it's more so just like walking outside in the sun, especially uh-huh. I've been doing it for a while now and I'm starting to see the same <laughs> older people that are out at the time when I go and I enjoy <laughs> it and I enjoy speaking to them. Oh, and you got even your little community going, of walkers. <laughs> right. Or even I used to love going to like the YMCA, the gym classes. And sometimes I would be like, oh, I have so much things to do, but I had to, this is part of my self-care, going to those classes, getting out for a walk. So just putting those things at the top of my to-do list, this is for me, and then working everything else around it Mm -hmm. and finding things that I enjoy that are free and instead of like spending money. Yeah. I'm like shopping at TJ Maxx is it feels like self-care, but it's not. This is a bill. <laughs> and you know, I end up with so many clothes, it's like, okay, I'm depressed because I don't have nowhere to put this stuff in. It's just all over the place. So I'm like, that's not self-care. <laughs> like, uh, no. Yeah. And I know during the pandemic, like we were discussing a little bit earlier, my mental health hit like a low. When the pandemic happened, I was already feeling burnt out at work. I was doing travel nursing and it was just like back to back on the go, literally just like on the go, like working, working, working. And the pandemic hit and I took a crisis assignment and I'm working night shift and that's typically what I work, but it was just so hard during the pandemic. Like one, I worked in the emergency department. It literally felt like a war zone. Like you go to work and for a 12 hour straight, you are running around, just no break. And typically some people may be busy and they can kind of help you, but Imagine everybody is just busy, like nonstop. There's no stop. moment and to take a breath. No, like moment. no moment. Just to take a deep breath and go, okay, you got this. It's just like you're just constantly running back and forth, which I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine how you and other healthcare professionals in settings like that got through it because it was and- just so much. It was just crazy. And you're trying to do the best you can. And you're also seeing a lot of people dying and people are dying and then more people are coming in sick. So in the emergency department or in the hospital setting, say a patient passes away, they usually, we have a debriefing where we can just honor the patient. And we can also talk about everything that we did to kind of try to save the patient's life and move on. And we'll have like the family there and just talk with our coworkers and encourage them. And if somebody's you know, if it's your patient, usually they'll like let you go on break. Like, do you need time? You know, help you out. But during the pandemic, you did not have this debriefing period. And I worked like three, four shifts in a row. So just imagine night after night, just getting off, just kind of like numb. And it's just like, mm-hmm. I got to go back in there, just sleep if you can sleep and going back to work. And, you know, 
everything was locked down. So it's like you're at home. And then also I remember having to try to go to the grocery store. It's like I got to go to the grocery store early and wait in line and kind of like fight and grab all the things. So my mental health during the pandemic was just like, I just felt like numb. And then at the same time on social media, you're seeing so many people killed and things going on and people want to protest. And it's like part of you like, oh, I really want to be out there. I want to join. But also I'm just, I'm tired. Like Mm -hmm. I'm just mentally, I just felt mentally, spiritually, and emotionally tired doing all that. It was just, oh, it was just a low for me. It was definitely a low, but in a completely different way for me because I I had the privilege of I still had a job and I've worked from home mm-hmm. for years. So working from home was just like, okay, this is this is normal for me outside of like why everyone else is having to do it. But then it like affected my relationship where I was used to like my boyfriend would go off to work and then I see him when he came back home and I had my sort of routine and then all of a sudden that changed because it's just like, oh, I get up and he's still in the apartment. Like, I still mm-hmm. got to stare at his face. Or it was yeah. like we had an office space, but it was I was going to use that space during the day because I worked from home and he would be using it at night if he's like online or playing video games, interacting with his friends. And all of a sudden I got booted from that space because he needed to work in there because he has a desktop and then I needed to work somewhere else because I have a laptop. And I completely understand that like, this is a very privileged experience in the pandemic, but Mm -hmm. it affected us where I, I know I have control issues. So then it's just like, why are you here? Why are you here? And I'm just Mm -hmm. like mean for no, like, I mean, I wouldn't say for no reason. I mean, because I'm just like you in my space, you done changed what was supposed to be this certain way. We had like officially moved in together a few months prior. So all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, 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 hell no. What what is happening? What is going on? And then processing that and trying to understand, I was like, okay, Camille, like, you're being mean right now. And like, this, this isn't called for, this isn't necessary. And then having to look within myself and going like, okay, you need to reel it in and you need to explain what's happening and also go, okay, get over it. Because those are moments when I can be upset about it, but you know, he's now working from home because he has to, and you will be okay. If you move your little button to a different room and get on your laptop, like you will be fine. But mm-hmm. navigating through that, where it's just like, I was just angry and I was angry for a lot of reasons. And like you said, with like even the police killings, like I'm angry and I'm sad about that. And it becomes this overwhelming thing too of like with the pandemic in general, I'm angry that like people are dying and we don't really know what's happening. Or I'm angry that there are people who don't want to listen all because they're just full of it and believe in things that aren't in any way truthful or any way scientific. So it, that was how I was affected and and trying to get away from like, okay, let's let's not be angry more. Cause that was where I really leaned heavy into my puzzles. And I was mm. like, you need to just go sit and take a moment to just be calm and breathe and relax because 
all all that anger is just like that can become toxic within you like your own body mm-hmm. you're then can possibly have you know physical ailments uh, like tied to that so that was mm-hmm. my experience and like everyone experienced the pandemic in in completely different ways and i view it as like a spectrum because some people did have it far worse you, I would say, yeah. definitely had it far worse than I ever experienced where I was in no way attached to, you know, caring for people, caring for so many people and then seeing so many people die. Like, that's a whole other level. And then you have people that, you know, their family members and loved ones passed away. So there's definitely a spectrum. But like understanding that wherever you are in that spectrum, it's OK to understand your feelings mm-hmm. and process them because, you know, people, I guess, got upset maybe at high schoolers who were no longer going to have prom, no longer going to have graduation. And it was like, well, what's wrong with you? Like, get over it. It's not that big of a deal when it is for them. That, yeah, that's, that's a major a big, thing that you're That's a major event in their mm-hmm. high school career that they've, you know, maybe been thinking about planning for a long time. And then all of a sudden, it's just gone. There's no replacement. There's no Mm -hmm. nothing. It's just completely gone. They're allowed to be upset about that. And it's, again, it's on a spectrum of it's not like this life-shattering world-ending thing, but it's still upsetting. And you need to give them the safe space to allow them to be upset and go, yeah, that does suck. I am sorry that that happened. Yeah. And- Everybody was going through things. Everybody was affected. Like if you're normally used to going to school, having to stay in the house to do work, not being able to go the places that you normally do, especially have a few of my cousins, they were transitioning to go to college. And then Mm. that's on hold. Like their first year, they're at home doing college after being home during their last year and missing out on all those things and looking forward to going to college, things like Mm. that. Teachers stressed out having to work from home and work is stressful. So imagine working, you know, if you normally don't work from home, working from home. So it's like, usually your home is that place where you can retreat from the stress. I know my mom Mm -hmm. was stressed with teaching the kids at home and it's, you can't really get away from it. It's like, I have to, you know, I see my supplies. It's in my area, especially if you have a small living area, mm-hmm. you're constantly seeing that and having to deal with that. If you're taking care of kids, your children are in school, you have to set them up and different things. So, so many people were going through many different things and a lot of people died. And like I said, Also, during the pandemic, I know working and seeing so many people die, and then you have people, they're like, this pandemic is not real, and Uh also just not understanding, like, why are you struggling? Why are you sad? Or Mm -hmm. why are you going through this? It's like, there was like a lack of compassion as well on certain fronts as well, just not understanding what was going on. And I, that used to make me so mad, like, it's a war zone in the hospital. And then you Mm -hmm. go into the news and people are like, not wanting to wear masks, arguing over what is a small 
inconvenience. It's like, you just can't wear this mask while you go into the store. You got to yell and shout. And it just felt like such a slap in the face. Mm-hmm. Like it was frustrating. And I know I finished doing that contract and I was like, I need a break. So I took yeah. a little bit of break. I think I like took two weeks off of work between my next assignment and I had like a PRN job. So I would just work that here and there. But I was just like, I just felt like I was going through the motions. Everybody was talking about, oh, we're going to get back to normal, we get back to normal. But I'm like, I just felt like so burnt out. And mm-hmm. my thing during the pandemic, I read like so many books. I know before the pandemic, I had got away from reading books, but I started reading, reading, and I just could not get out of this funk. So I know I listened to other podcasts and they were talking about talk space and all reaching out to a mental health professional and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And one of my good friends, Tiffany, she's a social worker and she's like, you know, you should go see a therapist. And she, she recommended a therapist for me. So I was like, okay. Because I was looking and it's like, you get like a whole good list. And the good thing about where we live at, there's, I wouldn't like somebody black mm-hmm. and preferably a black female. So yeah. it was good that the area that we lived in, we have access to a diverse group of therapists. Mm-hmm. So I reached out to the one therapist and that Tiffany had recommended, but she was like, I'm booked. I don't have any space. <laughs> you know, I'm looking at other people and I was just like, honestly, I was going to be like, I tried. <laughs> hey, I tried. I'll try again later. But luckily she ended up, I think it was like maybe like a week or two later. She was like, oh, I have space. Do you want to make an appointment? I was like, sure. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> All right. Maybe this is a sign because I was yeah. definitely like, you know, hard stop, pivot, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> like, we'll figure it out. <laughs> but so I did sign up for therapy. And I will say it's awkward at first talking to somebody. Mm-hmm. And I know they have to do, they do like a depression screening and they ask you about like, you know, why are you doing this or whatever? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, should I really say I'm like a seven out of 10, eight out of 10? I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to think, you know, too much, but and just talking and diving into things. You know, at first it could be seen weird. It's like, oh, should I be telling her my business? Like, what's going <laughs> on? But you gradually build a relationship and you start to discuss things. And mm-hmm. the, what I like about therapy is it's the only time where it's like that person is there solely for you. Maybe except for like a hair appointment, I will say I feel like getting your hair done at a salon, that's like (laughs) therapy, especially if they wash and blow dry it. That's like a little bit of therapy. But with your therapist, that's the only time where they can talk and Mm -hmm. it's just about you. They want to know what's going on, help you figure out things and solve problems. It is just about you. So Mm -hmm. I would recommend everyone to look into it to see a therapist. And I know when I told like my parents and especially like my dad, they're like, why are you seeing a therapist? What's wrong with you? What's going on? What's going on? (laughs) And I'm just like, even when I talk to my dad, he's like, you just need to pray. You need to trust the Lord. And when I know when I'm telling my mom and I know, I know you're listening. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She, I would tell her what's going on. People are dying. I'm sad. And she was like, 
you know, she'll be like, well, these kindergartners, they doing this, they get on my nerves. And they just want to be like, this does not, <laughs> this does not compare. <laughs> <laughs> no, you just want to be like, no, I don't want to hear about them. Yeah. I want to talk about me, but you also don't want to be rude. So yeah. it's good to talk to a therapist because mm-hmm. they will keep it on you. That yeah. hour is for, for you. you. You and you alone. And then yes. the same thing, I'm thinking like in response to your father is just like, well, I prayed on it and the Lord told me to go seek out a therapist. So that's yeah. what I'm doing. <laughs> You know, even further, yeah, they were just like nervous, like, why? Because I need to talk to somebody, yeah. I think a lot of people have that reaction and response if they're not accustomed to just therapy being a part of like your health care in general, yeah. And even talking to friends, sometimes I don't want to vent too much and. Mm I might be putting a lot of burden or weight on you or you just never know what other people are going on. So Mm -hmm. it's good to talk to a professional. And also I've been getting in the habit, just checking with people. Are you okay? I need to vent. Like, can you just need to vent? Things Mm -hmm. like that. And then also Mm -hmm. sometimes your therapist, they give you better solutions. Cause I was like, yeah, girl, put your two weeks notice in, (laughs) you know, forget them you know yeah your friends will kind of encourage what you thinking and you know Mm -hmm. what you thinking is like not good but your therapist be like hey this is a pattern you know such as i said this and you Mm -hmm. ready to react you got this fight or flight response going on you know Mm -hmm. take a step back and you know see so it's really good at addressing those things and I know there have been like a few like high profile suicides. I know the Miss America, she was black and she committed suicide and just the increase in suicide. And somebody like not close, but that I knew through somebody else, they had committed suicide. And it's just that shock, like, oh my gosh, like, wow, Mm -hmm. what's going on? So. I want to encourage people to check in on people. If you're seeing different behaviors, maybe like substance abuse or an increase in different things outside their normal behavior, just check in on them. And I guess too, if you're experiencing those types of thoughts, I know that there's this fear that you'll be judged by the people closest to you even and you don't want them to see you in a different light but like reach out reach out Mm -hmm. to those people or reach out to the helplines that are available the organizations that are available and we'll have that in the show notes as well where you can go and even our organization that we're highlighting this week they have a whole host of resources on their website where you can get that help but It's a thing of we definitely need to do so much more research into things and understanding things. And we need Mm -hmm. to have better systems in place for people. So when they do feel at their lowest and Mm -hmm. they, yeah, they feel hopeless and at their lowest that they know that there is a place that they can go. There are people that they can go to that will help them because it does get better. And the problem is, 
you are in such a dark place that you don't see that ever happening. And it's helping mm-hmm. people get to that point where, okay, no, life is worth living. And, you know, people care about you and want you to be around and want you to live a happy life. So if you are experiencing that or you feel as though someone might be experiencing that, like you said, check on them, check on them Mm -hmm. and ask them, you know, what do you need? Like, can I do something for you? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes that's all it is that people need to hear that, like someone cares about how they're feeling or what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. And check in with yourself. We keep thinking that pandemic is going to be over, but we're still living in a pandemic. We're still feeling mm-hmm. the effects. And if you feel like you've just been in this funk, you know, you keep thinking, I'm going to get out of it. I'm going to get out of it. You know, reach out to a mental health professional. Go to our page. We're going to have some resources you can go to. But if you're doing the same things and still feeling the same way, you may have to take it a step further. and. There's so many resources and the good thing, you can do it from the privacy of your own home, from Mm -hmm. your car. Everything can be virtual. There's a lot more virtual options that are out there for you. We'll segue into our organization because this organization, they have a lot of resources and we'll put those in our show notes. I like that they also had resources that were specifically for African-Americans, marginalized communities, also resources that don't involve like the police and Mm -hmm. you may need that. You may fear being criminalized for how you're feeling. So they have those alternatives as well. So the organization for this week is called BEAM. It stands for Black Emotional and Mental Health Collective. BEAM is a national training, movement building, and grant-making institution that is dedicated to the healing, wellness, and liberation of Black and marginalized communities. BEAM's mission is to remove the barriers that Black people experience getting access to or staying connected with emotional health care and healing, and that's through education, training, advocacy, and the creative arts. And their vision is to center their work around a healing justice framework, and that healing justice framework was developed by Kara Page and the Kindred Healing Justice Collective that identifies how we can intervene and holistically respond to generational trauma and violence. And what I like about BEAM, they have a very comprehensive approach, looking at it from all different angles. And they state that there is not just one strategy for healing. They want you to build up your toolbox for wellness. And that toolbox may include things such as therapy, coloring books, music, Puzzles, as Camille knows, yoga, (laughs) dance, gardening. So just tapping into the things that already bring you joy that can help you and understanding that wellness is a spectrum. So just building on your own strategies for healing that are within reach. And also they say Black wellness and healing work can only progress if this work is done while addressing economic reform 
inequalities in the criminal legal system, HIV, AIDS, transphobia, homophobia, racism, misogyny, reproductive justice, intimate partner violence, and other issues that challenge the wellness of Black communities, addressing some of those underlying things that deeply impact your mental health. And also they state they want to dismantle the systems that dehumanize Black people in America. That's a long-term project. We have to address all these multifactorial things so that we can dismantle this whole system that's oppressive. I was listening to one podcast and they said, just addressing racism and the factors that affect Black people will really help cure a lot of the things that Black people are going through. It definitely will, because racism is literally everywhere. And the goal is to create community-based systems of care that integrate into current practices in Black life and building upon those traditions and norms that are already in our community so that they can be sustainable. They have programs Some of the programs they include, one is Black Healing Remix, which is an interactive community program that creates conversations and events that provide mental health education while centering Black folks' unique healing practices. And they also have three online support spaces, and those are spaces they have them either monthly or bi-monthly where you can come together and heal and grow, like The Heart Space is a monthly online support group and emotional skill building space for Black people looking to learn and support others in their own healing. Additionally, they also have skill-based training to help Black communities just strengthen our communities around this healing justice, that framework to support practices. So they have the Black Mental Health and Healing Justice Peer Support Training. And the goal of the training is to increase Black communities' capacity to identify mental health systems, respond to mental health crisis in the Black communities with dignity, and to cultivate everyday liberation that's centered around wellness. And They have a whole plethora of resources on their page. They have those hotlines that you can contact if you need help. Definitely check them out. Follow them on Instagram. Also go to their website, which we'll have in the show notes. Take a look at their resources. Also, you can donate to them so that they continue to put on these events and offer these programs and trainings that are dedicated and centered for our wellness and healing. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. We hope sharing our mental health journeys and struggles will encourage you to take time to examine your own mental health. We are all going through something, so please be kind and check on those close to you. If you would like to suggest a topic we should discuss, share your own personal story, or shout out an organization or individual, please email us at distrustanddisparities at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate, review, and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Distrust and Disparities and Twitter at Distrust Pod. 